Good morning, Ernesto. We're here at the home office in Maxwell, Texas, at the annex, sometimes called Esther's Hall. And we're sitting here reflecting on the year 2017. We're just days away from turning the calendar page uh, to 2018. I know NHI has a lot in store, but we've had a lot of opportunity to to see the world start to make some major changes and transitions, especially in this country and in our hemisphere. And wanted to get your take as we start to prepare for a new year. You know, of course, we've seen a new president sworn in. We've also experienced a lot of acts of domestic terror. Yet our economy seems to be showing signs, uh, positive signs, but we have a new tax system. So there's a lot of things going on at the policy level. But I also feel that at the Latino level, there's also been a lot of movement. Um, of course, there's been a lot of tragedy with hurricanes, uh, the earthquakes in Mexico. There's been a lot of activism in reaction to immigration policy. Um, but it also doesn't necessarily see that a new message or a new vision has necessarily been sparked, but there does seem to be a lot of energy. So as we prepare for 2018, where do you see the Latino community heading this coming year? You've asked, you've posed a, a lot of situations uh, that require a lot of reflection. My own view and my own take on the nature of the question is that probably at no time in our history as a U.S. Latino population have we been able to kind of recalibrate. I think there is an effort to redefine who we are as post-Chicano, post-civil rights movement. These things take years, generations to reflect on, to think about, to discuss, to argue about. And I think probably what's going on in the Latino community, or at least it should be, and I think it is because I, we, we see such a mixture of nationalities. We're no longer just Mexican-American. We're no longer just Chicanos born in the United States. We're not, we're no longer talking about simply domestic issues and economic situations that affect a particular demographic. We're talking about a whole swirl of concerns and opportunities and promises and redefinitions and so forth. And so because of all of that, we have Central Americans coming into the country. We have Latin South Americans. We have the continued immigration from Mexico. We have our own domestic issues here. We're, even, even as Latinos, we're not all alike. We are different in California as much as we are different from northern New Mexico and Chicago and and uh, Florida, Miami to New York City. And so out of all of this swirl of mixtures, I think that one of the things that we're kind of asking ourselves, maybe not very visibly, Julio, but certainly subtly, suddenly, surely from the standpoint of who are we becoming, <coughs> who are we becoming and who do we wish to be in the future? I think that that we're seeing that we're no longer standalone, uh, alone islands unto ourselves. We're not. We're no longer just Puerto Ricans in this country uh, who, despite being Americans, are, are treated as foreigners. That feeling came across very clearly uh, under the so-called Trump administration. Uh, that's a feeling that has been a real feeling 
for decades in the Mexican-American community. It's constantly being seen as alien in your own country. And and not having the wherewithal or the means to address those kind of concerns. So I think... And I think I, I feel like one of the things I, I see with Latinos, those that work in a lot of industries and spaces, is that there was almost this hope or belief that those types of feelings were, were gone or a thing of the past or things that you just didn't talk about and would hope, oh, we will evolve as a society beyond this otherness or this foreign feeling that you're talking about. But I feel like now that we have it being institutionalized on a policy level, it it almost just confirms what people didn't want to admit or community didn't want to admit for a long time or wanted to hope it would go away. Especially with an Obama, a new president, a African American president, race is evolving, and it seems like we've almost regressed. Or I feel that's why why people are maybe having these these feelings or reactions. I don't see Obama, and this is going to be very controversial, I'm sure, being any different than Trump with respect to race. Um, maybe a little more sensitivity. We're still seen as a foreign community. Uh, these were conversations. What's fascinating to me is that th- these conversations, uh, these conversations were, were actually being held in 1910 and before, uh, as so-called manifest destiny took roots in the society that there was some calling from God to reign over other communities and other nationalities and other races and as, justified the taking of land and rights and so forth, as we see it today. And, and a whole nation was recrafted from where it used to be. And, uh, or a nation was created out of land that was not theirs. And we can sit there and contemplate that all we want. But the idea is that, that the conversation of, of American alienation for Latinos is a continuing phenomenon and our daily realities. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. So, 2018. How do we make it different? Or what? What do you recommend? I mean, I know one. I think I. I think again. I've mentioned it's something I see folks that work in in policy and government. They, if they were betting the advancement or change in the Latino community on public policy, it's almost like. You're not going to, you're not going to get anywhere now. Or if we were appealing to tax deductible contributors and donors, that's about to be wiped out. So meaning all what, what, what a lot of Latinos have used as strategies and tactics to advance or improve the community, those, it doesn't seem like those tactics and strategies are going to work at all. Well, I, I believe that, that somewhere, somewhere along the line, individual people, individual families, somehow acclimate to the existing conditions. Some do better than others, and some can, can, can claim a more advancement and advancements and better outcomes than others. Uh, the issue with that is, to me, is that at the end of the day, advancement, however we see it socially, financially, uh, politically, or otherwise, is, is reserved only for the few, uh, not the masses of communities. I, the reason I brought the idea up of, of this rethinking our identity. I was visiting with Gloria, my wife, the other day about the whole issue of post-ethnicity. And and I was sharing with her that 
that the idea of race no longer being an issue in American society is a false premise or working towards that. And I know that that was essentially, we're talking about your alma mater, uh, Boston University, and we were talking about the legacy of Martin Luther King and, and, the, and, and, his, and his famous speech of I Have a Dream and the idea that, that race and skin color would no longer play a role. I, I think that to have claimed that in 1965, 1968, is laughable under the current circumstances. To to claim that uh, in today's mindsets of of a Latino takeover or the Latino population has gotten too big that it is now postured or poised to be one in three Americans by two, 2050 erases that notion that we're all Americans. We're 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 actually being defined by our numbers, and it's published every day. Because if, if it wasn't important, then that wouldn't be published because we would merely be seen as Americans in a melting pot a relationship to the society. And we're not seen that way. No, it's always but, parsed out and, and yeah, fragmented <clears throat> statisticians put their name on and, it. And there's a real concern about how big those numbers are going to be because there's something that's going on right here. If If standards of living are to be maintained, then, then one of the questions that has to be addressed is how do we redistribute wealth? Now that has to be one of the key issues of the future. Because if you don't have the one in three Americans contributing to the tax economy or the tax system of our country at the levels that are needed to help sustain a particular quality of life, then we're all in trouble. And so the issue of, of, of wealth distribution and wealth equality and closing the gap, it's not simply a cultural issue. It is basically an economic, a core economic concern of the future of this country. Bring, bring that down to me when, when, in terms of the Latino community, because I don't, I, I don't know that that's a concept you hear discussed a lot about the distribution of wealth or even wealth creation or even just even the word among communities or among a, an approach to advancement in the future? Well, it's, it's really, I'll, I'll try to put it as simply as I know how. There was a discussion the other day about, about the savings of the rich under the new Trump tax, tax code, plan. tax yeah. plan or whatever. And, and this expert on economics was, was saying that the fact that the wealthy are going to cash in on this on this act on this legislation and make a lot of money does does not at all uh, encourage the idea of spending more he said major international national corporations have have had cash stored for years and the reason that they don't spend it is be, and that they should spend it and that they can't spend it is because no one is buying their products anymore that's the whole issue uh, at the levels that they want. He said what we should have done under any kind of new tax reform is put monies into the pockets of the middle class so they can spend more. Now, keep that thought in mind. If you spend more, then the economy is healthy. It's when you spend less that that people get hurt. So if Latinos are going to become one in three Americans and they don't have the resources to spend more, well, then the economy is going to get hurt. 
Now, here's the other issue. It's just not a matter of, dist- of making salaries better or increasing salaries or up in the minimum wage uh, laws of this country. If you don't have the educational skills to deal in the new economy, then you cannot earn more. And so what you have essentially is an underclass of people who are a large segment of the population and are unable and are separated. Economically stunted. They, they are not going to contribute to the health and well-being of the American economic system. So that's what I mean by the redefinition. And the lens of, of how the community is analyzed is through that lens. That these yeah. are, this is a massive community of non, people who are not really contributing to the economic. So what you're going to get, development. so what you're going to get is more reliance on social welfare. But there is going to be no social welfare. Now, that's the issue. Because if we're now concerned about, uh, uh, dealing with the national debt, one of the strategies of our leadership in Washington, right, is to cut back on the level of services. But I think that is being done much more than simply uh, an economic issue. I think it's racially motivated. I believe that that one of the ways in which you get people to leave or one of the ways in which you get people to want more is to offer them less. And I think that's going to be one of the real issues of the future is that we're going to see huge sectors of the Latino population having to operate with less. And I can tell you pretty much where those communities are going to be along the Southwest in rural communities and rural settings like Arizona and New Mexico, South Texas and the inner cities of Chicago and New York and the Houston's, maybe not so much Houston, but certainly the Dallas's. Is you're going to have minimally educated people unable to participate in a new economy, unable, therefore, to demand higher salaries, unable to subsist at, at, at a much more competitive level, unable to contribute taxes at the levels that are required. And so you're going to get communities who become fractured as a result. I think that's going to be one of the real issues for Latino community life in the near and distant future. So what is NHI doing about it? Or what do you want NHI members, or from your vantage point, um, being a writer, a lecturer, and of course here at the helm of NHI, what's NHI's take on on it? Which is usually, I know, doesn't tend to be a, a reaction, but rather, where's the opportunity and wh- where's there an opportunity to learn and grow from this? Uh, I think there's some lessons to be learned from it. I don't know that NHI is in a position to move the needle, as you may be suggesting, the social needle of our country. I think we can learn a lot from our interactions with with uh, with students who come from so many financial, economic, social, ethnic nationalities and religious backgrounds. I think we can learn uh, from who seems to be progressing, who seems to be moving forward. And I can tell you discussions that we're having here internally in our organization that we're beginning to approach different regional communities in a very different way. We, when we go to northern New Mexico, uh, we look at economics very differently than when we go to suburban communities of, of Houston or suburban communities of, of California or, or especially places like uh, uh, the Silicon Valley where income levels are much higher. Or you go to places like Tucson, Arizona, and we compare that to what we are, how we're going to approach little bitty towns along South Texas where the money just ain't there. 
And so we're ourselves are having to deal and contend with those social forces. Now, I think they're going to become more pronounced over the next 10 to 15 years. Now, what is it that NHI, to answer your question, I think the discussion is needed among future leaders on a public policy level. You know, we, we take a 15-year-old kid, we engage him in that kind of conversation by necessity, not just to have fun, not just for their intellectual growth, by necessity, engage him in that because 15 years from now, which is a blink of an eye, they're going to be on city councils, on school boards, and, and 20 years from now, they're going to be in the U.S. Congress, they're going to be some of them, not all of them, and that discussion is going to become very real because they're going to be dealing with very real issues in our community that have not been dealt with. Up to now, it's been race. Up to now, it's been gender. Now it's going to be economics at the most embedded forms that we can imagine. So with Latino organizations, I think, trying to also take a look at their own identities, where do you think there's an opportunity to to learn and to maybe try some some new approaches to community engagement. You know, I guess what I'm saying is there, there were a lot of Latino organizations and community groups that relied a lot on federal funding or state funding or even private funding. I mean, a lot of that is getting constricted, is changing. I mean, that, that whole marketplace of community life is, is going to evolve. And I feel like a lot of people are scratching their heads trying to figure out what to do. You know, I, I think it's, uh, <clears throat> I think it's funny, but I also think it's tragic. Um, it's almost like living in the days of the dinosaurs. There is a change in the environment, and we sense the change in climate, the change, and we don't know that we may be one of the one of the uh, part of the animal kingdom that's not that's destined not to make it. Uh, that's a dangerous statement. Uh, but what's different? about what's going on different from what happened in the 1960s, if we want to use that as a scale of comparison, is that in the 1960s, the dismantling of the federal systems by Nixon and the Nixon administration that that dismantled the, the, the way in which government got involved, federal government in this case, and the daily lives of people and the redistribution of political power and wealth as well, because OEO programs were designed to reposition populations that had been cut out of the American experience. And we called it the other America. And there were one-third, fully one-third of Americans were in poverty. And today, and what was really left out of the media, that the, that the vast majority of Americans that were actually cut out were rural poor whites in this country. They represented two-thirds of the families in poverty by how poverty was defined back in those days. Now, what people don't want to deal with is that it ex- continues to exist today, except it exists in certain communities like Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, the Carolinas, mostly in the South, where you also have, have a lot of conservative, evangelical types of religion that kind of deal with that matter as well. But here, here's where I'm headed with all of this. The conversation now has to turn to economics, not to race. The conversation now has to deal with how do we become more competitive and education at this point. Two things have to happen. Education from an economic point of view, not from a knowledge point of view. 
from the ability to participate in a new economy has to be one of the highest priorities, not simply knowledge and information and self-development. The other thing that we're going to have to deal with is shift from a narrative that was there in the 60s and continues to be a, a, a legacy narrative in our development from seeing the, the world from a need point of view. In other words, our leaderships are oriented to articulate need or needs in communities to making the ship shift to an investor mindset. Mm-hmm. We, we need to now say to ourselves, what are the things that we as Latinos whether we're no longer just Mexican-Americans, just Latinos in general in this American society, willing to invest in our time, our efforts, our talents, our skills, and yes, our money. What is important to us? And shifting the narrative from a civil rights view of the world to an investor's point of view of the world has to be probably, in my view, our most important priority in the next 20 to 40 years. And I do think that I I have started to see some glimpse of, I I think of investors seeing the the positive benefit of their own investment, that there is is gold that you can tap here if you just choose to tap it. When Um, we talk about investment, you know, I don't want this to get misconstrued. I'm talking about investment Within the Latino community, that's, that's I'm not yeah. talking about extracting money from the general economy and getting into business. I'm talking. No, about- I think that's what the, had been the strategy, and I think there are some few businesses, young leader. I mean, there are glimpses of it you see that are attempting to to try to do something by investing within, not not trying to market themselves out to mainstream or to sell a product to the general populace, but invest their talent, their time, the re- within the community. And I think the the biggest motivator is this, the benefit of seeing your own investment start to repay. But I, but I want to break it down even further when we talk about an investor mindset. I want to make sure that we understand what, and at least in my view, and my view is just one of millions of views. Uh, investor to me means that I consciously participate in the in furthering life in Latino USA, meaning this, I support the arts, the performing arts, the, the cultural arts. I support the establishment of Latino academies in the Latino community. I invest heavily in voter activism. I invest heavily in the wellness and health condition of the Latino community. Uh, what, what I find interesting, I was talking to an NHR the other day who was looking for land in East El Paso uh, to establish exercise programs, uh, commercial exercise programs, weight rooms and so forth, in all Latino communities because they're not there. And that's the next market. And they're trying to figure out how do you offer health-related exercise programs in a community unaccustomed to that. You travel outside of your own community, your neighborhoods, to go to some gym, some private gym. But you don't travel within your community. Now, someone has already figured out that this growing population represents a good economic investment. And if it's supported by wellness concepts and popularized uh, nutrition and so forth and so forth, there are possibilities that you can create many businesses that pay off handsome dividends. And so we're going to have to redefine 
socially and economically and culturally what makes sense to the Latino community instead of simply being a low-end consumer type of product in American society. What is a, a final question, at least, that I had for you is, what's a, what's a resolution you would propose to others out there? And you know, it's the, it's the New Year's time. People start to look to things differently. What would be a resolution you would propose to the community? Or even just to a, a member out there wanting to, to, to take on some sort of action towards some of the things you talked about? I would say a, a new, a new, well thought of strategy and concentration on how we rear our children. Yeah. I think our children, I'm not talking about this from a traditional point of view. I think that if we don't aggressively equip our children for the new world, we're doing our children a vital disservice. If we just think that making good grades and going to college somewhere and getting a job is all they need, then we're very, very much mistaken. Our children have to understand how to figure out systems and the dynamics of social forces and how those social forces can either be to their advantage or to their disadvantage. And they need to know know how to read the social climates that are out there so that they make critically informed decisions about their futures and how they lay out themselves. I think learning Spanish for every Latino child or retaining Spanish and perfecting Spanish is one of the most highest priorities of our community because it allows us to interface not only in this economy, but all of the economies south of us. And there are 22 economies out there south of us that add to our resource capacities. That's number one. We need to become very historically knowledge, knowledgeable of governance and how governance plays a role in our lives every day. We need, our kids need to know differences in governance and calibers and types of governance that occur in different societies. We need to be, have our children understand history and how history can repeat itself and how history is a way of informing yourself of how societies are shaped or how they can be shaped. I think that the current administration is proven to me as a 77-year-old what my father warned me against when I was five and six years old and I could listen to his stories about life in America in 1917-1920. And I was, I, I was, he would tell me about his teenage years growing up where there was no justice for Mexicanos and how they were relegated to particular jobs and no matter how much they dreamed, they were never going to get above certain levels. Those things can repeat themselves subtly and overtly. And I think preparing our children and having learning academies and having an intellectual stimulation of our children is one of our most vital, vital and most important priorities so that they're not simply literal, so that they can understand the symbolisms of change and how those things occur in the currents of change and how those things take shape and can affect your lives. When you take a look at what's maybe being planned by people of power in this country today, people of wealth, people who have access, we can pretty much be assured that it is not for us. At least that's my belief. 
It is not for us. It is because of us. And it is in fear of us. And it is to position this country and its wealth distribution for the next 100 years. And your child won't have any role in determining outcomes if, they, if you don't prepare them for it. If you don't make them really smart people who can defend themselves and make things happen for themselves. And I think that would be my biggest New Year's resolution. Pay attention to the development of your children and use programs of the National Hispanic Institute as vitally needed intervention opportunities where children can learn for themselves along with their parents. Well, this is Julio Cotto here at NHI's home office in Maxwell, Texas, joined by NHI President and Founder Ernesto Nieto. And to all of you listening, uh, thank you for a great 2017 and a happy new year in 2018. Starting in January of 2018, we will be launching a new calendar and schedule of podcasts here from the uh, NHI Podcast Network. Uh, have a wonderful, have a wonderful rest of the holiday season. For more information on the National Hispanic Institute, please visit our website, www.nationalhispanicinstitute.org. Call us at 512-357-6137. Find us on Facebook at NHIHQ or on Twitter, NHI underscore news and at Instagram and Snapchat, NHI underscore news. Music by Andres Cotto.